0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha Radel says the forecast calls for a sunny tourism season in Minnesota this summer. Mike Grimm chats with local sports broadcasting Hall of Famer Mark Rosen And I talk State Fair blue ribbons as organizers start ramping up for the great Minnesota get-together. But first, the 2016 legislative session ended this past Sunday at midnight and the closing minutes were probably even more of a mess than usual.
1: Just vote on the bill. Members, I think this is a really sad day for this institution. A repeat of what we saw last year. And maybe this is
0: a Tradition we have in this House, I don't know, but it needs to change. Yelling and screaming on the House floor and confusion on the floor of the Minnesota Senate as leaders desperately tried to get a bonding bill passed, but the clock ran out. MNN's Bill Werner joins us. Bill, I was on the House floor as the session ended, and what I saw and heard was chaos as the midnight deadline to get bills signed came and went. There was a lot of frustration. How about you? What did you see from your vantage point on the Senate floor?
2: Well, I saw tenseness, which always marks the end of a legislative session, but that turned into panic when members saw on Twitter that the Minnesota House had adjourned sine die, in other words, ended their 2016 session a few minutes before midnight, which put the Senate in a take-it-or-leave-it position. Let's listen to that last minute or so, and right after, we will bring in Hamlin University Professor David Schultz to unpack what happened. Here is the Minnesota Senate floor at about 11.59 p.m. on Sunday. Motion
3: prevails. The amendment is being reconsidered. Well, now we have to... read Madam... He has to withdraw the Let's amendment. Vote on. Madam President, move we, we vote... On. Madam on. President,
1: I move we adjourn sine die.
3: No. The motion before the body, Senator Bentz. I withdraw
1: the I withdraw the, the uh, motion.
3: The motion before the body is to reconsider the amendment. So the amendment is before us. The amendment is before us.
4: Madam President, All, Senator Bach. Uh, Madam President, I move the Senate do not adjourn until Monday, May 23rd, 11 a.m.
3: On the motion to adjourn, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed nay. No. Motion prevails. The Senate stands adjourned.
2: Well, Hamlin University Professor David Schultz, you heard all the wrangling that went on at the end there, and it uh, sounded to me like it was confusion, parliamentary confusion.
1: Yeah, it was parliamentary confusion um, in which we have lots of complex amendments and processes going on, But you also have, I think, just generally confusion in terms of the leadership uh, at the end of the session regarding what it is they want to accomplish and what they're truly trying to hope to get in terms of legislation. So confusion across a whole bunch of different levels, but there's no question about it that, that we're also dealing with legislating um, at the end of a session where people are very tired and they're cramming an incredible amount in at the very last second. Um, it's a surprise that more anarchy doesn't break out than it does.
2: You know, it was interesting because what, what had happened at that point, that piece that we listened to, the House had passed the bonding bill, sent it over to the Senate. The Senate put an amendment on there, and as we, what the majority leader told us was that he was texting to the House Speaker at that point. The House Speaker was telling him, please don't put an amendment on the bill, and Senator Bach, the majority leader, was saying, we're putting the amendment on the bill. And then sometime right about that point, the House adjourned, sine die, so they're gone for the 2016 Correct. session. Then the uh, uh, Minnesota Senate has a couple of choices. They can either take that amendment off, which they were trying to do there but got kind Correct. of confused in the process, or the bonding bill dies, and, and that's what happened. You think fatigue is just a big, big part of this, that, that people are under so much pressure and then they're fatigued and they can't figure the right steps to go from point A to point B?
1: Yeah, there's no question about it. Again, think about the fact that these are legislators going with very little sleep, um, trying to accomplish an incredible amount, and it involves hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And part of me wants to say that we, that's probably not a smart way to be legislating to start with, <laughs> making some of these really incredible choices um, under those situations, not exactly what I think most people would say would be optimum. But we have to step back and ask, how did they get to that situation? Yes, that yes, yes, granted, it was a short session, but, we, but they had plenty of time to act. Um, think about how the House didn't even introduce its bonding bill, un- unveil it, until, what, probably 96 hours before the end of the session. And so a lot of it here has to do with the fact it's not just the normal fatigue that comes at the end, but it was bad leadership, bad time management, but even more importantly, as I've argued for years, There's something fundamentally wrong with the structure of our legislating process where in in regular years we almost go to government shutdowns all the time. And here where we get right to the edge in terms of passing legislation, and sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. And this was one of those sessions where it just showed that a flawed process oftentimes produces flawed results. And that's what we got. We got a session with what at the end of the day? No bonding bill, no transportation fix couldn't even do real id it's more than just fatigue it's something more about leadership and structure than anything else
2: most of the folks around the capital will agree that that what has uh, the way this has always worked is that it gets played up right to the deadline because each side is hoping that there's going to be enough pressure, that there's going to be discombobulation on the part of the opposition, uh, and and that they're going to get some incremental advantage to this. And so they they just push it as far as they can and right to the deadline. Is there any way that we avoid this kind of legislation, which we heard at the beginning of this segment, uh, uh, the, the problems that it results in?
1: Well, a couple of things. First off, during, during the, the budget years, the regular budget years, which is this was not one of them, but during the regular budget year, you know, we could adopt proposals such as what we find in the state of Wisconsin that says that if you don't reach agreement on a, on a regular budget by the, by the specific deadline, um, the, the existing budget continues in effect um, until a new one um, um, is adopted. It's basically an automatic continuing, continuing resolution.
2: resolution. And that would be in law, you're saying? That would be in, be in law. law. That would
1: okay. guarantee no government shutdown whatsoever. So that's one possibility. Yeah. But in a session like this, where it's not about an operating budget, uh, you know, <laughs> it, that becomes a little bit more difficult because it's, it's, it's not critical, uh, although it's very nice to have, have a capital budget. Uh, and so one of the possibilities is, as a broader reform is to say maybe we can do the capital budget and link it to the operating budget and require both of them have to be done at the same time and maybe have some kind of, you know, continuations in there for capital projects, although I think it doesn't work very well for capital projects. Uh, unlike an operating budget where we know what, what the operating budget is, uh, yeah. bonding bills, we don't always know what the bonding projects are. So an automatic continuing resolution there doesn't work. Yeah. But you could do things in terms of, for example, um uh, having, having different deadlines imposed. You could have firmer deadlines in terms of when things have to be accomplished. I think another one that I proposed a couple of times is to say maybe we have a joint House-Senate committee in charge of pushing through things like the capital bonding bill. That way you don't have to go through separate chambers in the complex way that we do this. There's probably no no one technique or mechanism to guarantee that we're going to be able to, let's say, take the politics out. At the end of the day, it's about figuring out how to reach consensus. And when there's enormous disagreement and disconsensus or or disagreement on how to spend money and how to tax people, um, I think you're going to continue to have these problems.
2: Professor David Schultz, thanks a lot for being with us.
1: No problem. Thank you very much.
2: And now, of course, Scott, the question is, will there be a special session so that lawmakers can
0: put Humpty Dumpty back together again? And all live happily ever after? We'll see, Bill. Thanks. More Minnesota Matters after this.
5: It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth.
0: All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese!
5: Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another.
0: Can we get some extra ranch sauce?
5: Then there's the ceremonial nightcap.
0: So what are we doing this weekend?
5: And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed...
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A pre-summer survey of Minnesota lodging businesses revealed a positive outlook for summer travel statewide. MNN's Tasha Radel takes a closer look at Minnesota's tourism industry as a whole.
6: Thanks, Scott. As many of you know, the Governor's Fishing Opener was held a couple of weeks ago on Big Sandy Lake near McGregor. Many dubbed this event as the unofficial kickoff to the summer travel and tourism season. Well, that's where I caught up with John Edmond, Executive Director of Explore Minnesota. One of the first questions I asked John was, when people approach you and ask you where they should take that next family vacation, how do you even begin to answer that and not be biased?
7: It's not as important what I say in terms of where you should go. I mean, I could talk to you, your listeners can listen to me, or, or they can look at some of our ads, et cetera. But it's when people talk to each other, when they share those experiences, they share those moments, whether it's uh, through social media or verbally or just word of mouth, that's how you can really get the message out uh, on what a great destination is, not just what I do, but what other people And so that's what we're trying to do with tourism. We're trying to really build up those conversations.
6: When I pulled into McGregor for the opener, it's a town of about 400, I was actually surprised on how inviting and welcoming everyone was. I actually met a lot of great new people, made new friends. Sometimes, though, I'm not going to lie, I feel like these small communities with hidden gems like Big Sandy Lake would prefer us tourists to maybe turn back around and head home.
7: That is nice to hear you say that uh, because... I was just actually talking to someone this morning about sort of that interesting situation where we want to promote an area and we want people to come here, but maybe there are some folks that say, no, I don't want a lot of tourists. I don't want my area changed. I want it kind of quiet and unknown. But when you have a community that says, you know, Tourists are good. They help support our businesses. They come, they take pictures, they leave, they help our economy. Maybe somebody might actually want to start a business here. And you know what? That's all good for us. So they've kind of changed that attitude, and it makes it a lot easier for me to promote it as a result.
6: And how important is tourism, I guess, as a whole to Minnesota?
7: Well, I I, I talk about it a lot. I mean, I throw numbers (laughs) out, like $13 billion, you know, 250,000 jobs, 17% of all sales tax. Sometimes when I throw those numbers out people just kind of yawn because they're numbers. I mean, what do they really mean? But I guess looking at it another way, it's it's comparable to agriculture, and we don't really understand how important tourism is unless something happens. For instance, if there's a problem like in Mille Lacs with the fishing, or if there's a, a fire, or if there's a flood, all of a sudden everybody comes. Oh my God. My goodness, what's going to happen to the tourism industry? How are we going to keep this strong? Otherwise, it's just its just kind of there. We kind of take it for granted. But it's really an important part of our economy.
6: And we do take a lot for granted. I mean, this is a beautiful state. And I'm kind of thinking, you know, when you plan a trip, you're like, oh, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. I, I think maybe we should spend more time in our own backyard because there's a really a lot out there.
7: Well, our job in promoting tourism is 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 twofold. We want to bring in non-residents, because non-residents, they stay longer and they spend more money. I'm just thinking about it from a business perspective. But we also have to think about keeping Minnesotans traveling within Minnesota, because again, looking at it from a dollar and cents perspective, you don't want those tourism dollars escaping and going somewhere else. You want to keep them here. And so then you kind of layer under that too, just the discovery, the discovery part about uh, a, a travel and, and, and the things that people maybe just don't realize that's in their own backyard. If I could just say one more thing real quickly about that, is that uh, our marketing right now, it's kinda, and and what I'm talking about, it wants to get, I wanna get a little bit beyond just the numbers. I wanna get about the other benefits of travel. What does travel do? Travel helps with relationships. Travel helps with uh, understanding. It sometimes helps with health. You can connect with people you haven't been connecting with before. You can slow down out of your daily grind. There's uh, something I call the travel effect that goes beyond the dollars and the cents that's really important to us as human beings, whether it's here in Minnesota and another state. And what we offer in Minnesota is something that people don't realize how easy it is to discover places and discover themselves and discover each other.
6: Travel's definitely good for the soul. Well, John, we're about out of time. Any final thoughts today?
7: I also want to kind of talk about the global opportunities for travel and tourism. I'm on a board called brand USA which is an international marketing organization promoting the United States and we have the opportunity for Minnesota to be a global player when people are traveling internationally from places like Germany or the UK uh, China etc a lot of those folks they're looking for new destinations beyond just Florida and California and so it gives Minnesota an opportunity so there's a real business opportunity for international travel but again back to the personal thing I think that when people are traveling internationally, maybe they don't like a particular country or they think they have some prejudice about a culture or whatever. All of a sudden, when you go to that country and you start interacting with people, you realize they're people. They're just they're people. people like you and I. And it just helps for global understanding as well. So that's why I'm kind of excited about getting involved in international tourism as well.
6: Thanks again to John Edmond, Executive Director of Explore Minnesota. If you need help planning your next getaway, head online to ExploreMinnesota.com. Again, that's ExploreMinnesota.com. If you don't have access to the internet or web, you can call 1-888-VISIT-MN. That number again is one 888 visit You can also check out the hashtag only in Minnesota campaign. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this.
8: Who might you save?
6: Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son.
8: Learn fast. F A S T. The sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save
6: your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach.
8: F face drooping. A arm weakness. S speech difficulty. T time to call 911. F A S T. Face arm speech time. That's F face drooping. A arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of...
6: Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger,
3: grandmother, grandfather.
8: So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you.
3: Your wife,
6: your colleague, teammate.
8: Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council.
9: You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, Check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A highly popular Minnesota sports television program has come to an end. Millions of Minnesotans made an appointment with WCCO-TV Sports Director Mark Rosen for Rosen's Sports Sunday. Last Sunday was the last episode ever for the show, but don't worry, Rosen will remain as the sports anchor at Channel 4 during the station's regular newscast. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Rosen this week. Scott, Mark Rosen began the Sunday night staple
2: at Channel 4 35 years ago.
4: The origin is uh, Ahmad Rashad um, was kind of a contributor to to a Sunday night bit. He wanted to get in the broadcasting business, and he had the miracle catch at the Met, which catapulted the Vikings in the playoffs. And the next year, we had a little 10-minute bit where he'd come down on the newscast, and then uh, our news director at the time, Ron Hamburg, we kind of pitched it to him, and he was all in favor of it. We would start this Rashad Rosen report, which we did then in 1981. And Ahmad would come down on uh, Sunday nights. It's funny because I just was talking with him the other day about a reminiscing. Uh, this is back in the day when we had typewriters, not computers, and he didn't know how to type. So he would, he, and he wanted to get into the business. He knew way, way ahead of his time. So he would write his scripts longhand, and I would type them up for him. Because when he wanted to contribute more than just me asking him questions all the time, so it started in 1981 as the Rashad Rosen report. And he played. We had it for a couple more years, and he went on to the network. And then uh, Bud Grant we did the Bud Grant show. Bud <laughs> then uh, resigned. Uh, Les Steckel took over, which was an interesting three and thirteen year. Bud came back, and then it sort of took off with the players and continued on to the point where we uh, landed uh, last week. You put so much effort into this over the years. It almost became
2: a full-time job in terms of, okay, we need who are we going to get for a guest this week. Yeah. Uh, and take me through some of the unique stories in lining up guests. Because I know there were times you you have to set up limo rides for people. Or, right. uh, hey, we have to tape at 1 in the morning yeah. because that's the only time they can show up.
4: Yeah, it, it, it can be trying very often. I mean, uh, I mean it, speaking of limos, yeah, Ahmad Rashad worked out a great, great deal back in the day where he worked out a deal. He lived in Lakeville. And he worked out a deal with our news director. And he would have a limo make sure he didn't fall asleep, to take him downtown, which was fine, a great idea. So we'd take a limo downtown, and then many times, you know, I'd, I might meet him afterwards. We'd go to the loon, and here would be Prince hanging out in the booth and kind of nod at him and say hi, and we'd hang out for an hour or so, and then the next day, I'd find out that my news director would bring me into his office and he would start yelling at me, going, What's a ma- What did I do? He goes, Well, that limo was out till 3 o'clock in the morning. I went, I wasn't with it. And I confronted Ahmad uh, during our radio show last week. We were laughing about it. I said, no, Ahmad, come on, fess up. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. But overall, I've been really fortunate. Justin Konzemius reminded me of one night when I had the, uh, the one and only Tim Brewster all lined up to come in. And we were supposed to tape the show, thankfully. And I know you've been a guest many times. We were taping it, which I didn't do very often, but Tim was going to come in and tape it. Well, Tim didn't show. And to this day, I have no idea why he didn't, but I had to call Justin, and he got out of bed and came down and did the show for me. I've been really lucky over the years. Now, one time, Paul Molitor fell asleep, and, and uh, I was on the newscast, and, I, and his wife at that time said, Are you supposed to be on Rosie's show? He goes, Oh, my God! So he got dressed, and Clem Haskins was on that night, so I just flip flopped um, what was going on, and Clem was on first, and then Paul did make it down in time you know, but overall you 're going to have stories like that, but uh, really, people have been really good, but I do get still to the, to that day I, I I start looking at my watch at ten fifteen going, god I hope he shows up because it 's live and i don 't really have any backup plan you know <laughs> I guess I could just talk for a half hour like a radio show, but Overall, I was really happy with uh, the way people were very responsible in showing up. The impact you mentioned you
2: had and the feedback you've gotten, I'm sure, is, has been kind of a, a thrill from that standpoint. And even like like you mentioned, I've been on the show a handful of times, and I'd say in the things I've done here, whether it's go for football bowl games or NCAA tournament games, I probably got more text being on that show than anything. I mean, it's amazing how much impact that show, and it just became a Sunday ritual for people.
4: Well, you know, you, we live in a vacuum here, Mike. You know, and we really do. I'm not trying to in all do modesty. You know, you, you go to work, you do your show, you go home, you have your bowl of cereal, you go to bed, you get up the next morning, you do it again. <laughs> and, you know, and you get feedback, but you don't really know. I mean, you, you look at ratings, and it doesn't mean a lot because I don't. I've still never met one person who's got a meter at their house or whatever. So I don't you know, take that with a grain of salt, but. I had no idea. I'm not kidding. I had no idea the impact that this show had on people. I know people enjoyed it. I know when Johnny Randall and Eddie McDaniel were on, the Vikings, and all kinds of different guests we were able to do. But, um, yeah, it's been amazing to hear from people. I mean, when when you get a tweet from Senator Amy Klobuchar saying, Sunday nights will never be the same, you go, huh? I mean, really? I mean, this is a pretty powerful person. And I remember her dad quite well as a Vikings writer. But uh, it's been humbling and very overwhelming and very gratifying that people uh, felt that strongly about it, and uh, I'm glad they miss it. I'm going to miss it, but you know, like I said, just uh, go on to the next thing, and uh, you find another challenge, and you know that's the way life life is for everybody. What do you suppose this Sunday is going to be like for you? I'm not working this Sunday, so that's going to be nice. Uh, I, I was going to take it off anyway, but I think the next Sunday afterwards will be the first one. I'll be back at work and doing the sportscast, and then. Um, I'll walk out the door at 10.30 and let them worry about the rest of the half hour. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, like I said, it'll be a time. And I've had really good conversations with our news director. About um, you know being creative and coming up with different things, and I'll still have opportunities to do a lot of things that maybe I couldn't do before. So uh, there'll be flexibility. I'm, I just have to sort of take a break right now and kind of clear my head because it was it was getting stressful. I'm not going to lie, um, but uh, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, the most relaxing part was actually doing the show. I loved it. We've enjoyed it. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you.
0: That's the legendary Mark Rosen on Minnesota Matters. Scott, thank you, Mike. I'll be back with Brianna Schutte from the Minnesota State Fair after this.
5: Brought to you by the Ad Council and Life.org.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. You could say it's a little early to be talking about the great Minnesota get-together, but you'd be wrong. That's because, believe it or not, the deadlines for entering State Fair Blue Ribbon Contests are right around the corner. I recently had my first official State Fair interview of 2016 with spokeswoman Brianna Schuette about contests, llama costumes, bucket lists, and more.
3: What we want people to know is that our competitions uh, are opening up for entry and our premium books are going up online. And so we really want people to start getting in the mode of thinking about what they're going to enter in the state fair this year, whether it be a cookie recipe or a pie recipe that um, your family has told you for the longest time is the best and you should really you know, put the best to the test and enter that in the state fair or a great school project that one of your kids uh, created that you want to, to see if it can win a ribbon, uh, livestock um handmade goods, anything like that that competes at the state fair, we want people to start thinking about now so that they can select what they're going to enter. And the deadlines for competition entry um, are as early as July 11th. And while that seems like it's a long way off, it's really not. So you have a couple of months here to prep uh, between now and mid-July when most of those competition deadlines start coming due. And the best way to plan uh, to enter one of our state fair competitions is to visit our website site at mnstatefair.org, and there we walk you through a step-by-step process and how the different competitions work, how you can pre-register, drop off your item for competition, and then hopefully see it displayed at the 2016 Great Minnesota Get-Together.
0: And, Brianna, roughly how many contests are we talking about during the course of the run of the
9: fair?
3: You know, um, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, over 36,000 entries in uh, thousands of different lots and classes. So pretty much everything that you can imagine that you could uh, create or raise or do, you can compete with at the state fair. So we say that there's a, a competition for everyone and almost everything here at the fair. And those competitions, the folks that are competing in those competitions are competing for over a million dollars in cash prizes. And also, uh, you know, the pride and the honor of winning a state fair ribbon is so prestigious.
0: Now, this is, of course, a matter of judgment, but I'm wondering what do you think is among the most interesting contests that are offered at the state fair?
3: (laughs) Well, I I always think the 4-H llama costume competition or the... um, the rabbit uh, obstacle course competitions are, are very interesting in our um, in our agricultural youth competitions. But also, you know, anybody with a uh, stamp collection can enter that into the State Fair. If you're a scrapbooker, you can enter those. Um, you know, uh, we've got our amateur talent contest. So if, you're, if your talent isn't necessarily creating something or raising an animal, uh, if you've got a great talent to showcase, you can do that uh, in the Minnesota State Fair amateur talent contest and auditions for that are also in July. So um, really the sky's the limit and like we say, uh, something for everybody and almost everything as far as competitions go at the fair.
0: Before you entered the role that you're in now, did you ever enter anything into contests at the state fair?
3: You know, I didn't, and uh, it is on my bucket list now to, uh, to enter into a competition at the state fair. I'll have to look into what the regulations are as a, as a staff member. Um, but, it, you know, the pride of winning a, a state fair ribbon is, is just uh, really an amazing thing and a great tradition here in Minnesota, and really the fair's roots are in uh, agriculture and, and competition and really showcasing the best that Minnesota has to offer. And so um, it's definitely something that's on my bucket list to do.
0: Well, I'll probably be talking to you again in June about the foods and other new things at the fair, but I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about the Blue Ribbons and more today. Thank you.
3: You bet, Scott, and we'll talk soon.
0: That's going to do it for this week. Thanks again for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN Station.